0: Well, it's good to see you uh, tonight. It's always hard to be the closer when you've had Pastor Shemish here preaching. But it hasn't it been good? Amen. If you haven't been able to be here, uh, please, after you've repented, um, have a look on the, the website and um, listen to what you missed because there's been a, a thought that the Spirit of God has given us this week, and I want to be sensitive to that. And I was, I was halfway joking about the repent thing, so, you know, I don't want to offend you as we just get started tonight, okay? Um, take your Bible with me to the book of Revelation chapter 2 and the book of First Thessalonians as well. Revelation 2 and First Thessalonians. I know that it's been a busy week for all of us. Appreciate that you took the time after a busy day of work and school and all that you had this week to come, uh, you'll always find that a sacrifice you make uh, for the Lord is always an investment, and uh, you're always better for it, uh, particularly if you come with a heart that's ready to receive. And my prayer for you in preparation for this week has been that, that you would be ready to receive the Word of God. And that was the, the thought behind what Jesus did in His earthly ministry. Think about, think about what the Son of God did as He went He quite often would speak to the people and he would say something along the lines, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And it was an invitation to listen and to absorb and receive the thing that God had for him. But not everybody that sits under the preaching of the word of God receives. It's true. Uh, Back in the day of the Lord Jesus, they they didn't have church this way. They had the synagogue. And the synagogue was a, a building that was uh, many times quite a bit smaller than this it was a sort of a long narrow building um, maybe half the the width of this and maybe half the length of this and uh, the man that would that would instruct would stand it was all for the most part one level he would he would stand and he would he would speak and the people were most oftentimes seated to the sides on uh, benches and seats of that nature and that was just kind of how uh, the, the the meeting went and it wasn't a meeting that was the same as what we do in church today. But the similarity was this, that, that the man would address the people of God with a message from the Lord. And it's always been that way. Regardless of the format and the venue, it's always been that way. Here's the way it is, that God's people would more often than not be seated and they would be ready to listen. And then the man that God had chosen would stand and deliver a message. And it was always the same. The man the man had to receive something from the Lord. That's number one. And number two, the people had an obligation to be ready to listen to what God had to say. The, the greater portion of that burden lies upon you, the greater portion, because you have now been given the obligation before the Lord to do something with what you receive. And that is a, that's a necessary obligation on your part as a, as a listener, but it's a wonderful obligation because it I think I've mentioned to you before in different years, but it's, it's a blessing when God paints us into a corner. It really is a good thing because he knows what's best for us, doesn't he? Uh, and he'll often put us in a situation where we have, we have only one real response and that is a submission to what God has to say. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So when we're challenged, that's the point. When we're challenged by something in the word of God, the response of the heart ought to be, Lord, um, I'm gonna submit in this area of my life and I'm gonna allow you to change and correct me and then I'm going, to make a, I'm going to make a change in my life that, that's practical. There's a practical change. So having said all of that, um, Revelation chapter 2 is where I want to start tonight. Uh, you'd be familiar with this, wouldn't you? This is, this is Jesus now who is going to address these seven churches of Asia. Now, you know as well as I do that there, there were more than seven churches. But there were seven in particular that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he wanted to address because for this reason, brethren, it's that he wanted us to learn something from these. This is for us. So it was for them, but it's for us. And so Jesus is just going to speak, and he calls himself here the head of the church. Uh, That's what he is. He is the head of all that we claim to be, all that we're meant to worship, all that we're supposed to do. He's the head of all of it, right? And so Jesus is now going to speak to us, and I'm going to ask you a question as we start tonight. It's really the same question the Lord always asked. Uh, In effect, it's this will you receive it tonight? If the truth is preached and taught and there's instruction that's given to you tonight, will you receive it? Uh, what soil is your heart tonight? What's the soil of the heart? Uh, Thursday night I, th- I felt was, uh, it-, it was the marker, it was the benchmark for our conference because usually the, the, f- the first preacher in a, in a series of meetings like this, the Lord has given him a thought that sets a tone for the meeting. And a pastor made a very good call when his initial thought was to have two preachers on the Thursday, but he said, no, I think for the sake of the church, it's going to be better that we just have one on the first night, and then we'll move into a a more rigorous preaching schedule after that. So he made a very good call. It was definitely led of the Lord. And so Brother Shemish brought us a message Thursday night, which set a tone. And I have been instructed tonight to continue with the tone. And so um, we're going to continue that, and I want to ask that you'd receive it tonight. Okay, Revelation chapter 2, here's what, here's what the Lord Jesus says in verse number 1. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, we know that those are the churches. So Jesus is walking in the midst of the church. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Uh, What a... What a list of achievements from the church. I'm covering very familiar ground to most of us tonight, but bear me out as we, as we start here. Uh, what a great achievement of the church. If, if I could be a member of a church, I would want to be a member of a church like this. Because Jesus didn't say the church was dead. They were very much alive. They were, they were living and they were active and they were correct in their doctrine. They were correct in their practice they were zealous to protect one another as a, as a group. They were alive, but they left. What did they leave? They left loving Jesus Christ. And what he said here to the church was, you've fallen. Now, to the world outside, there was no difference to the church here of Ephesus than there would have been Ephesus in the day of Paul. Uh, the zealous church, The church that that, uh, was faithful to Jesus Christ in spite of the persecution of the world around them, that was the church of Ephesus in the day of Paul. And to the external, it was still the same church here in John's day. But the difference was, in those intervening years, they'd stopped loving Jesus Christ. And everything else was okay, but that was the problem. Now, by contrast, turn a chapter to chapter number three. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast the name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. And then he says, and hold fast and repent. If thou therefore shall not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now, here's a church that was very different. They were working. They were active. They were what we'd say vibrant. I mean, everything that you want to say about a church. But the difference was Jesus says, no, you're dead. All you have is a name. You have a name, and that's all you have. And what Jesus was saying is, I'm walking in the midst of the church, and I see beyond the name. And I see you for who you are. So he said, you're dead. So Ephesus was a church that was living. It was a church that was vibrant. It was a church that was active. It was all that it ought to be. But Jesus, as he walked through the church, says, I see that you're busy, but you've missed it and you've stopped loving me. He said, you've fallen. Uh, Sardis had all the same things or many of the same things. But as Jesus walked through the church, he saw beyond the facade and he said, you're dead. To both of the churches, he said, repent. Get it right, get restored, do the right thing. Because if not, then there's going to be a problem. I'm going to come and I'm going to intervene in the church. And he had no problem saying, I will remove the candlestick. Because it's not right. Okay, now that's the benchmark for what we want to look at here tonight. So turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Paul is writing to this church now, and this is many years before John wrote, Paul is writing, and this is a wonderful church. Uh, This was a church in Thessalonica that was birthed out of affliction. Uh, This was a church where the people that had been saved were saved at a great cost to themselves. Uh, rejected by friends, shunned by family, scorned by the culture and society. They were unique and they were alone in a city that was full of idols, a city that was pagan. It's something that we know nothing of in our culture today. Australia is very Christianized. And so to start a church and to get saved in this country, there's really no persecution. It's not a unique and uncommon thing to see a church spring up in this country. You drive around the city and just look at what you see around. You'll oftentimes see in a school or a storefront a little sign, a little sandwich board that says such and such church meeting in this location. It's not uncommon. But in Thessalonica, it was very uncommon. They were birthed in affliction. And Paul had a great love for this church, and he says some things to the church that are, that are worth us looking at. Now, I want you to remember Ephesus, what we read. I want you to remember Sardis, what we read. I want you to think about that and keep that in the back of your mind. And let's consider tonight uh, this church. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, Timothy, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God says, I just want my grace. I want you to know that my grace is there. It's available to you. I want you to know that uh, you can have peace. You can live and work and walk with me in peace. It's, It's who I am and it's what I give to you. That's God. Now, Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Paul is looking back at Thessalonica and here's what he said. He says, he says, this is what I remember about you. Verse number three, remembering without ceasing. Paul says, I think back to my time with you. Paul's in Athens when he writes this. I think back to my time with you and here's what I remember about you as a church. Okay, now we're, we're on the last message of what really ought to be a revival of of spiritual renewal and awakening in our heart as believers. we talk about what missions is and the outflow of missions in the life of the believer. And uh, really, for us to do what God wants us to do with regard to evangelizing the world church, uh, it comes from here. And it comes from a right relationship with God. So here we are at the last of these messages. And I want to ask you a question as a church body. What will you be remembered for? If Paul was alive today and had written a letter to you, what would the letter say? This is what I remember about you. And I want to ask you, what are you going to be remembered for? Because you're all a part of a body. There's no lone ranger. There's no uh, one individual that everything rests upon. Uh, We rise and we fall together. That's what we are. It's what a body does. Everyone is members of another. Just read the Bible. Oh, I don't like this person. I don't like this thing. I don't like this event. It doesn't matter. We're members one of another. So what kind of a church and what will you be remembered for? All right, I want you to look in verse number three. Here's what Paul says. He says, I remember without ceasing, first of all, your work of faith. Now, let's talk about the practice of such a church. The practice of such a church. I, I speak to you as friends tonight. I I was your pastor, I'm no no longer your pastor, so there's much about your life now that that I don't know. And so, in many ways, that's a blessing to me because it enables me to preach without having anything in my mind about a particular person. So, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the practice of such a church. He says, I remember without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. And notice the word your. It's plural, it's all of you. And the implication here is that there's unity in the church. The implication is now that uh, as opposed to, uh, to, to Corinth, where Paul says that there's envy. Are we listening tonight? There's envy and there's strife and there's division in the church. He says, you're carnal and you walk as men. This is not of the spirit of God. As opposed to Corinth, he looks at Thessalonica and he says, here's what I see. I remember that you all are working together. There is a unity amongst the brethren. How good and how pleasant it is. Are we okay with it? that we walk in unity. And so he says, I remember without ceasing your work of faith. But what is the work of faith? Oh, here's what it is. In another place, Paul said to the church at Philippi, he says that here's what you ought to do with with one mind, striving together. Do you remember what the the rest of it says? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. This work of faith that Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica about is that the church is unified together and they are striving and working and laboring together for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, their unity is centered around their practice and doctrine of the word of God. This is where unity is based upon. It's based upon our adherence to the scriptures. And Paul says, I remember this about you. The thing I remember about the church is that you're unified and you're unified in this work of faith. That's a great thing to be remembered for. Their practice was that they worked together for the faith of the gospel. What are you striving for here? What is it that you strive for? I, I didn't ask what you strive about. There's a difference. To strive about implies carnality. To strive for implies unity. And Paul said to the church, I, I remember that you, that you work together. There's a work of faith as you strive together. Notice the next thing that he says there is he talks about the labor of love. This labor of love. Remember the church of Ephesus, what was it that Jesus said he had against them? They left what? Yeah, what was that first love? It was a love for Christ. They were, they were serving him, they were zealously guarding his doctrine. They were preserving his church from wrong influences. You have tried those that say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. And yet Jesus said, you have stopped loving me. You've done all of the trappings and peripherals, but the most important thing is what you've stopped. And Paul said to Thessalonica, he said, I I remember this about you, you labor in love for Christ. You know, Paul also said in another place, he said that by love, we're to serve one another. Now, that is love for one another, but the overarching love is our love for God. You know, the reason we can serve each other is because we love God. If we don't serve, if we don't serve each other, it means our love for God isn't what it ought to be. That's the, that's the truth of the matter. So Paul says, I remember this about you. The, the practice of the church is that you, you labor together in love. I remember your labor of love. All that you do you do because you love Jesus Christ. Uh, when you clean and when you sing and when you lead and when you play and when you all that you do to serve in the in the kitchen and I mean the the multitude of things that that we would never know that you do that you do. We do those because we love the Lord. Okay, he says your labor of love. Now notice the next thing he says, he says in your patience of hope. Now brother, listen listen tonight. I know we've had a busy few days but Please bear with me for just a few minutes. He's talking, talking about the patience of hope. Now, what is that? Well, this hope in the word of God is always anchored to the promise that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. Okay? Uh, Paul said in the book of Titus, he, he talks to Titus and he talks about our, our blessed hope. That, that means the happiness we get from the assurance we have that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. Are you, are you happy about that? And I don't even mean it from the standpoint of I'm escaping this world, although that's a pretty good thing to be happy about. Can't wait to get out of here one day. If you're living for this world, you're a sad, sorry Christian because there's nothing here but sorrow, nothing here but emptiness. It's vanity. Just read the book of Ecclesiastes. It'll figure all that out for you. But, but Paul said there's a patience of hope with these people, which means this, that, that all that they were enduring, the, the tri- now don't forget this is a church that was, that was birthed in persecution and he's writing to a church that is under persecution. It didn't stop. So these are people that in the midst of persecution were patiently waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, brethren, listen, listen. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 3 when Jesus talks to the last church, Laodicea? Remember what he said about that church? He says, you're rich and increased with goods, and you have need of nothing. But he says, what you don't realize about yourself is you're, Wretched and you're poor and you're miserable and you're blind and you're naked. He says, You're looking at the outside and all the trappings of your comfortable life. I'm looking at the inside and you're dead. You know what he said to them? Do you remember? He said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. You know what that is in the Bible? Every single time. It's the refiner's fire that makes a vessel for the finer. The counsel of God was to buy yourself some hurt and heartache and tribulation and persecution because it'll make a better Christian out of you. We have a great burden in Australia because we're such a prosperous country and because we don't face persecution, and we can very easily go for 20 years of our Christian life right directly under the radar of our culture, and we'll never face opposition because we don't have to lift our head up. We don't face persecution. And there's a greater obligation for us to serve God, a greater difficulty to serve God in our prosperity than ever was in the adversity of this church. And we don't have to really think too much about the Lord's return because we're not really looking to escape this world because we're real comfortable in it. We okay with that? So I'm not preaching at you, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to you and asking you, I'm, I'm trying to provoke you but I love you and I'm trying to provoke you because of it. So Paul says to this church that you're patient in hope. You are waiting for Jesus Christ to return. Let me ask you a question you can't answer out loud. Here's the question. When is the last time as a believer that you consciously stopped and said, Lord Jesus Christ, please come and take us home? I long for the return of my Savior. Lord, split the eastern sky. I, let me hear the trumpet. Deliver me from this present evil world. Oh, God, I am a stranger here and I do not belong. When's the last time as a believer you prayed something like that and said, God, I can't wait for you to come? Okay, this was a church that was patient at home. So notice the practice of this church, all right? What were they practicing? Well, they had, they had a work of faith. They were striving together as a group. Uh, they were striving for the, listen, for the advancement of the gospel and all, all that's contained in this body of faith that we call Christianity. They were unified together in this and they were working together for this common cause. That's what they were passionate about. And they labored because they loved Jesus Christ. There was a labor there that, that was born from love. And in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of the, the opposition of a culture which hated who they were, they were patiently waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, and it was their constant expectation. This was the practice of the church. Church, listen tonight. This is the normal church practice. It ought to be normal. Is it your church practice? Now let's move on here into chapter 2. Let's talk about the priority of such a church. What was the priority of this church? We already know what they did. This was their practice. I want you to look at their priority in chapter number 2, and would you notice with me now in verse number 11? Paul says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Uh, Week by week, a man will stand here uh, in this place having, having studied and paid a great price. You don't understand the price. He will have paid a price to receive of God so that he can give to you. It is his calling, it is his vocation, it is his burden, and you'll not understand it. It's not given to you to understand it, but trust me when I say there's a great price involved. And week by week, he'll stand here and he'll exhort and he'll comfort and he'll challenge and he'll encourage, just like Paul said that he did to Thessalonica. Not all that Paul said was received well by the brethren because Paul had weighty and powerful words. He said that of himself. His bodily presence was weak and his speech was contemptible, but the power of God was in his preaching. And when the power of God is there, oftentimes it provokes the brethren to anger. And Paul said, this is what I've done. And notice what the response of the church was. Paul said in verse number 13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. We've done these things. We've preached. To you, because when you received the word of God, which He heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you the belief. Now, can we talk about the priority of the church? The priority of the church was this, brethren: they received the word of God. They received it. Uh, you know, week by week, as you've sat here, you've come to church, and you've heard preaching. But to hear preaching doesn't mean you receive it. Have you received it? Growing up on the farm, you know, you have a really unique sort of a farm life. And there are many times where you've got to medicate your animals. There's some issue. They've got worms. I mean, just all sorts of lovely things. You have to deal with livestock about and There's many times with a cow that you've got to give a cow a pill that's like a deworming pill. All right. And uh, this pill is just about this big. It's just an absolutely monstrous thing. And the only way to get that thing into the cow's mouth is you've got to push the skin of the, the, the cow's cheeks between the teeth so they can't bite down, and then you've got to stick that thing in there, and you've got to push it to the back of the throat. Okay, now that's a dangerous thing because you have fingers, and you want to keep all ten of your fingers at the end, at the end of that. But, you know, the, you can push it in there, but it doesn't mean the cow's going to swallow it. And there's a lot of times that thing will just spit that thing out, and now it's all slimy, and you've got to get it back in there, okay? Sometimes it's just a wrestling match. And sometimes that's the way we are in church. The word of God is preached, the word of God is taught, and uh, we don't want to receive it. But Paul said the priority of the church was this, that when you heard the word of God, you received it. Brethren, listen, as it is the word of God, not as the word of men, it's the word of God. The messenger doesn't matter. The message is what matters. Paul's speech was contemptible. He was not a pleasant man to listen to. We we don't know what it was, but he said that of himself. But I'll tell you what, the power of God was in it because it was the word of God. Are Are we okay with this? And so they received the word of God. It was the priority of the church. I'm asking you a question tonight. What will you be remembered for? What is the priority of the church? Is it to receive the word of God? When's the last time you walked into church and you said, Lord, I'm sitting here today And I'm 10 minutes before the service and I'm not going to flick through Facebook while I wait for the service to start. I'm not playing words with friends and I'm not on social media, Lord. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, I'm prepared to receive. Speak to me. Because it's not Pastor Hernan, it's not Pastor Shemish, it's not anybody else who stands here. The man doesn't matter. Quite often a man will pray before he preaches and he'll say something like this, Lord, hide me behind the cross. You could preach up here with a pulpit that's, two and a half meters high and just hide everything because the man doesn't matter. It's the message. It's the word of God. And the priority of the church was that they received. Now, pastor said it before church started here tonight, sort of in the intro, but really the the important part of missions conference is going to be within a couple weeks of today because we're going to see if you received. You heard Did you receive? The priority of the church was that they received. Now, I want you to notice the next thing that he says in this verse. He says, you received it not as the word of men, verse 13, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And notice this, which effectually worketh also in you to believe. You'll know that you've received the word of God when it has an effect in your life. You will have received, truly received the truth when it has changed you. Are you changed? Uh, we were talking on the way to church here today, and we were just discussing the, the, the way that God has sort of put the messages together, and obviously myself and Brother Shemish are wildly different in our approach and personalities and intellect, I mean, all that stuff. There's no polar opposites. And yet, we were talking about how there was so much said in these last several days, there, there is no way that if we were here listening, that we were not in some way corrected or instructed in our life. There is no way. If you were here for even one message through the course of this week, then there is no doubt the Spirit of God has either instructed or corrected you in your life. Is that okay? Because that's the way I felt. I I was corrected. Every time I heard him speak, even the jokes convicted me. I'm trying to figure out how he does that. I'm going to have to, it's got to be a way. Okay, there's an effect. He said it effectually worketh in them that believe. We should have approached this meeting as individual believers and we should have said, Lord, there's no doubt something about my life that needs to change. And Lord, uh, the, the goal of our meeting together is to evangelize the world. Isn't that why we came? And, and we, don't need, we, don't need a, we don't need a call, brethren. We have a command to do it. Don't wait for a call. You've already been given a command. Go do it. If God doesn't want you to go, then he'll tell you to stay. Otherwise, why don't you just plan to go? That's another message for another time. But we should have come in here and said, Lord, Lord, what do I need to change? What do I need to do? I've got a heart maybe issue that's not right. I've got a relational issue that's not right. I've got an attitude issue that's not right. I've got bitterness that's rooted in my heart and it's clouding my judgment. It's clouding my spiritual ability to think and uh, respond to the word of God. Whatever it is, change the soil of my heart so that I can receive the word of God because I want it to have its intended effect in my life. Have you come with that spirit? You see, the priority of this church is we came to receive. Now, the priority of the modern church, brethren, you know this, is not to receive the Word of God. The priority is we can put blue lights on the platform. The priority is we can turn it into a dog and pony show. The priority is I just want to feel something. I just want to, this is what I want to do. That's the priority of the modern church. But the priority of a biblical New Testament church was, okay, God, I need to hear from you. And it's the Word of God that changes me. You can't get around the fact that it's faith that comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. And to increase your faith and to build and grow you in your, your spiritual life, it comes from this right here, where you listen to the truth being preached, and you say, God, change me. Uh, we, we were again talking today, and um, I, I said, you know, how, how did you feel about the fact that nobody came forward when Brother Shemesh preached this morning? And, you know, pastor said, oh, I wasn't bothered by that. I mean, obviously there was a lot to think about. There's a lot to process. Um, and sometimes as we're processing and just trying to figure out what God wants us to do, you know, sometimes maybe we don't know really how to respond to that. Maybe there's just a private time we've got to respond. But brethren, whether you came forward in a place like this or not, um, did you in some way respond to the truth of the word of God? Because it's supposed to effectually work in you that believe. Uh, what was the practice of the church? The practice was that they had a work of faith. They were striving together. They were striving together, not against one another, for the work of the gospel. They had a labor of love. They loved Jesus Christ. And they had a patience of hope. They patiently endured the suffering. They patiently endured the suffering, and they were looking for Jesus to come back. Okay, that's what they did. So their priority was that they received the word of God, and it made a change in their life. Now, I want you to turn to chapter 3. Because I'm going to talk to you about the personality of the church. It's funny, you know, when you walk into a church, you can sort of judge the personality of the place. Uh, I'm, I travel all the time in preparation for us to come back to Australia, and, you know, I'm in a different church every week. Most weeks I'm in a different state. And so I'm in different churches all the time, and, and usually you just walk through the back door and you get a pretty good sense of stuff. You, you ever traveled and you've been to a church, and you walk in and you think, man, I am in the wrong place. Right, um, the personality of the church. Paul addresses this to this church. Here's what he says, chapter three. He was talking about the fact that he had endured affliction, and he was worried. He was worried about how the church responded to what he was suffering. Okay, so here's what he said. Look at verse number, uh, verse number five. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. He was like, oh man, I really don't want my suffering and persecution to weaken you and cause you to fall away. So he's, he said, I sent Timothy to you, verse number six. But now when uh, Timotheus came from you unto us, so he came back to us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. Okay, stay with me. Please, please, just your attention. What was the personality of the church? He tells you. He said that Timothy came back and he brought us good tidings of your faith. You know what the personality of the church was? Man, we we want to serve God. Our, Our life is wrapped up in the things of God. This wasn't worldliness. This wasn't apathy. This was a church that was all about serving God. They had a great faith in God. I find it interesting and, and quite disturbing sometimes that we, we could get together with other believers. And in the course of our conversation with other believers, the, the, the deep things of God never come up in conversation. Uh, quite often when you visit with, with other believers, it's very shallow. It's shallow conversation. We, we want to skip across the, the spiritual matters like a stone skipping across the lake, and that's about as deep as we go. But the, but the depth, mining the depths of the work of God and the ministry of God. You understand? That's why we're here. That's why we're here, not as preachers, but us as believers. We are spiritual people. We're in a spiritual body. Our, our life is a, a spiritual life, for we are dead and hid with Christ in God. You understand? You understand? We are already seated together in heavenly places. It's a spiritual work we're involved in, which means that our conversation should be spiritual. It should be about the faith. But friend, if you struggle to talk about the matters of faith with another believer, it's an indication there's something wrong inside. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying there's some great wickedness in your life. I'm just saying that there's there's a disconnect. And the personality of this church was a, was a group of people that were engaged together in the work of faith. And it just showed. It wasn't a social church pri- primarily. It was a church of faith. They cared about the work of faith. What is that work of faith? It's, it's laboring and serving and growing and edifying together. That's what it is. It's all-encompassing. And that was the personality of the church. He said, secondly, charity. He said he brought us good tidings of your faith and charity. If that is, that's just love. This is a church that loves each other. I don't know if you remember years ago, we, um, we've always, there's been changes here, you know, the way we structured the pews. So the, we used to. Have, do you remember those old ugly pews? Don't you thank the Lord those were gone? Now, if you paid for those pews, please forgive me for offending you. They were pink and they were awful, all right? Or maybe they were maroon or something. They didn't match the pink walls. so I'm telling you that right now we got rid of those things and we got the blue chairs. I remember when we were here and we were unpacking those blue chairs. What a mess this auditorium was. And we set it up different ways. I remember Brother Bax was down here one time and uh, he was walking around here and giving us his sage advice because he's pretty good at that, you know, about how we could set it up for maximum occupancy. And it was really good and we did this and then remember we had an aisle at one stage. And I quite often as I'm traveling and preaching in different churches, I'll refer back to the fact that we used to have an aisle down the middle of the church. And it was, it was a church on this side, and there was a church on this side. Remember those days? And, um, and sometimes we don't get along on this side with somebody on this side, so that's why we want to sit on this side. And when we have handshaking time, we stay on this side. We don't want to go to this side. And so you just have this division in the church. And We laugh about it, but it can be true. And I'll often say that when I'm, when I'm traveling around preaching. It's just I remember that, and it's funny to me. And if I was in one church long enough and I just observed people, I'd probably observe that, how true that was, that this guy never crosses the aisle, you know, to this guy, okay? Okay, this was a church, this was a church, and their personality was a personality of love. They, they just loved each other. I, I find it interesting because here's what Jesus said to his disciples right before he went to the cross. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Are we, I almost think that's humorous that he would have to say that, Now, I'm going to command you, I haven't said this before, but I'm saying it to you now, love each other. But he said, now, love each other. Now, listen, listen. by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The world's going to know. Listen, listen. The world's going to know you're the genuine article. How? Because you love each other, and you can feel love, and you can feel division. Listen, you can hide division behind a smile. You can hide division behind a hearty handshake. You can't hide it from God. And Timothy came back to Paul and said, Paul, put your mind at ease. The personality of this church is, they're all about the faith of the gospel, and man, do they love each other. I thank the Lord that at this stage in my family's life, we still, for the most part, love each other. You know, sometimes you want to kill your teenage kids. I don't know. Is that? Can I say that publicly? It's. But but most of the time, you know, we, it's. I love the embrace of a family, don't you? I love um, I love being with my family because I just love being around them. I told Heidi not long ago. I said I I don't know. Maybe I've just changed, but. I said I just like being around you more now. <laughs> I just I like to be around her, you know. It's not like I didn't like to be around her before, but I really like being around her now. I don't know what it is. Maybe she's changed or maybe I've changed, you know. I just, I, just love, I just love to be loved and to love. But, you know, that's supposed to be the conduct. Are we okay with all this? That's supposed to be the conduct of the Christian. Our personality, brethren, is supposed to be love. But, but don't hide love behind a veil of hypocrisy and pretend you love. Here, again, let me draw you back to the Word of God. John said this in 1 John. You, you cannot say that you love God. You cannot say you love God if you don't love a brother. You cannot say that. Because how in the world can you love a God you haven't seen? If you refuse to love a brother, you see. You cannot. You're a hypocrite and a liar. You cannot. Now, what is that supposed to do to us? Hey, listen, maybe it's doing something to you right now. It's supposed to provoke us, but not to anger. It's supposed to provoke us to fall on our face before God in repentance and say, God, I don't love the way I should. So I'm going to ask you a practical question. How do you love each other? Oh he Paul said, Don't love in word only, but in deed and in truth. How do you love? I've heard stories, some amazing stories of the grace of God. There is a radio program that's been lot, been going in, in the States for many years since I, I think the early nineteen fifties. And it was a, it was a rescue mission. And it's called the Pacific Garden Mission. And they started a, a broadcast 60, 70 years ago now called Unshackled. And you can get online and you can, you can listen to these and there's, I suppose, several, many hundreds of these episodes now that have been sort of brought out and they've kind of they've play acted them and then recorded them. And basically they're stories of the lives of people that have lived certain lives and God has reclaimed them and saved them, okay? And many of these I've listened to over the years as I've just traveled and, and many of these are stories of people that have had severely horrible things done to them where they have been raped or abused and whatever and then, and then they got saved and then they went to the person that did that to them and loved them and forgave them. The outworking of God's grace is just love in our life. I wonder what your personality is toward one another. Do you love each other? in deed and in truth? Or do you harbor anything against one another? Brethren, listen, uh, division and disunity hinder the forward progress of God. They do, are you listening tonight? They hinder the forward progress of God. And Paul looked at this church and he says, what I've learned about you is your personality. Timothy has told us your personality. And here it is. Boy, do you love each other. And then he said... Uh, your faith and charity, and look at verse number six. And that you have a good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. You know something else that they had? A great desire to see Paul. Now, what was Paul? What was Paul to this church? What was he to this church? He was a spiritual mentor. He was a spiritual father. He was a guide to them. He was one who exhorted them. He was one who disperse the truth of God to them. That's who Paul was. And the personality of the church was they had a love for their spiritual mentor. Okay, now in a church setting, that's here. That's who this is. I don't know your relationship with your pastor, but it better be right because you're hindering the work of God. You're in opposition to God if you're in opposition to your pastor. If you're in active opposition to him, you're in opposition to God. God never called a man that was perfect. There's no man that's ever been perfect. There's frailties and failures and inconsistencies in every man, but God looks beyond that and calls the vessel and chooses to use him. And the attitude of this church, the personality of this church was, we can't wait to see Paul. He's invested so much into us, we just wish we could see him. Sometimes we can can be a bit blase about that. Now, I'm I'm not talking about man worship. So I, I don't know what you're thinking. I see you looking at me, I, but that's not what we're talking about here. But it's, it's honor to whom honor is due, and, and on, the honor is in the office, and the honor is to the man that God has chosen. That's just the way it works, and uh, we've got to be very careful about that. That was the personality of this church. They just they loved their spiritual mentor. Would you flip over to Chapter 5? Same, same book, same letter to the church, but would you flip over there with me now? Paul says this, we beseech you. Brethren, listen, can I just have your attention for a minute? Do You remember what I said a minute ago, Paul said about this church is that they received the word of God and they received it as it was the word of truth from God, not as the word of men, but from God. Isn't that what he said? This was a church that said, okay, we're listening, but we know this is from God. So I'm I'm reading you a passage of scripture in here. This is from God. Tom didn't say this. I'm just reading you what God said. So let's look at it. Chapter 5. And he says, This, we beseech you, brethren, verse 12, to know them which are labor among you and are over you in the Lord and to admonish you, oh sorry, and admonish you, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. You know that conflict, I'm not preaching because there is conflict, I'm just preaching this. Do you know that conflict has always been around in a church setting? It's always been there. Because whenever you have different people, you have conflict. It happens in marriage, it happens in family. Happens. There's always conflict, and sometimes conflict is easier to manage than at other times, right? Um, if you have a blind man and a and a deaf wife, you're gonna have a beautiful marriage, okay? But uh, there's there's conflict in relationships. It's always been that way. Man, I see the daggers coming out on that one, okay? Um, but I want you to notice what he says here. He says he says, uh, brethren. He says. Know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. The position of the of the pastor is a position of an overseer, is a position of the bishop. The bishop is the is the overseer of the work of God. His responsibility is to manage the affairs of the work of God. It's, it's an oversight. And he said that he labors among you. That's why I said earlier, I said a church would not be expected to know, but brother, I just I'm just trying to bear my heart a little bit. That you would not be expected to know what the pastor goes through, but Unless you were called to it, don't volunteer. Unless you're called to it, don't volunteer, because it's many times there's heartache. There's 24 hours a day. It's a burden. It it is a weight. When I left the pastorate here and took my family back to the states, we had a reason to go, and it had its own weight. But when Pastor Hernan became the pastor, I felt the weight release. I felt it release. And he told me later, he said, when I sat where you sat, he said, I felt the weight. And the weight never goes away, not ever, not ever. On vacation, on holiday, it never goes away. The burden, the fear, the hurt, the uncertainty, it's all there all the time. And God said this. He said, I just want you to, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. It's, it's okay to say, isn't it, that God has placed your pastor over you. It's okay. It's okay to say that. And, and he admonishes you <laughs> Man, we don't like that. Sometimes my wife tells me things I don't want to hear. I think I've gotten better in 25 years. I'm just a little better than I was. You know, years ago when she'd say something I didn't like, I, I generally just have to shut my mouth because I know that I'm going to say something I'm going to regret. So that's kind of how I respond in things like that. Is there anybody else like me? And that you, Yes, thank you. God bless. I see that hand. Um, but I, I've gotten better over the years at knowing how to, how to respond when, when I'm admonished. And many times she's been right. And that's the worst part about it is that she's right. You know I'm right in this whole thing. I see Robert back there going, oh, that's right. Okay. Um, Verse 13, he said, esteem them very. Now, listen, this is all part of the message. This, This is all part of what Paul is talking about. It's tied together. Same book, same letter. We're not pulling a piece from here and a piece from there. It's all together. So what he's saying is he said, now, you know them. Guys, listen, listen. Pastor Hernan labors among you. You don't know the labor, but there's labor, and it's all the time. Just pull Sister Azariah apart, aside one, don't pull her apart, pull her aside one day, and, um, and ask her if there's ever a day where her, her husband is able to switch completely off, and the answer is no. They'll go on a date and they'll sit down for have a cup of coffee, and for three minutes they'll talk about one another, and for 15 minutes he'll just talk about something going on in somebody's life in the church. That's the way it is. There's labor there. And he says, I just want you to do this. Look at verse 13. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Because you don't want the job that they carry. Now, God gave it to them, and he gave them big shoulders to handle it. But I tell you what, they need the prayer of God. And then he says this, and you notice in the verse, and be at peace among yourselves. What was the personality of the church? It, this is all a part of the message. They were a church that had great faith, and they were just all about the things of God, just great faith. And there was a great love that they had one for another. And listen, they loved. they loved to be around their spiritual mentor. And Paul says, now you you know what they labor for you, and you esteem them highly in love, not because they're perfect and they always make the right decisions and they always preach the right things and they're whatever, but, but for their work's sake. And they says and be at peace. We need that. We need to hear that. Be at peace. Be at peace among yourselves. Hey, in the world you shall have tribulation. And you're gonna walk out of here this week and you're gonna be filled with it. There's trials and heartaches and warfare everywhere. But can we not have peace amongst ourselves? Be at peace with one another. This was the personality of the church. Now, let me draw it to a missions conclusion because you're thinking, I thought this was missions conference. Oh, it really gets to that, all right? I want to talk to you lastly here, flip back to chapter number one. I want, you to, talk, I want to talk to you about the product of this church. Now, let me just march you through this in synopsis real quick, and then you'll see where God is te- taking us. We talked about the practice of a church, that they, they were unified, right? And what did they have? They had a, they had a work of faith. They were striving together for the the faith of the gospel. It wasn't centered around personality. I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos. I am of Pastor Hernan. I am of Pastor Tom. Mm. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. They were laboring in love, and their, their love was predominantly for Jesus Christ. We love the Lord. Okay, that was the church. That was who they were. That was their practice. And then we talked about the priority of the church. And the priority of the church was this. They came to church because they wanted to receive the word of God. There's other things we do, but the most important part is what we receive from God. I need to hear from God. And when I hear, I'm going to put it into, my, into practice in my life, and it's going to have an effect in my life. It will be effectual in me. Okay? That's, that, was, that was the priority of the church. Then we talked about the personality of the church. They were all about the faith. It was spiritual. It was a spiritual church. They were about loving one another and they loved and esteemed the man that fed them and mentored them very highly because only God knows the difficulty of that task. So what was the product of the church? And here it is, and this is fantastic. If that is the church, and I asked you the question as we started, what will you be remembered for as church? Southland Baptist Church, what will you be remembered for? This was the product of Thessalonica. Look at chapter number one. And drop down with me. Verse number six, Paul says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that you were examples, that's an example to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So uh, you were an example to the believers and they were in regions beyond you, but they knew of you and the, listen brethren, the other Christians in the area knew of who you were and you were an example to them. Okay, that was it. But notice the next verse. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith, the God word, is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. What was the product of such a church? It was missions. Hey, listen, listen. Has it ever occurred to you as you read through Paul's epistles the absence of Paul teaching the church? about the Great Commission. Have you ever thought about this? Here we have the letters of the apostle to the Gentiles. It was revealed to Paul to reveal to the church the mysteries. Paul said it was given to him to reveal these mysteries. And so here we have the doctrine of the church and it's printed out for us in our language on this page here, all through the New Testament, the doctrines that God wanted the church to understand. And as Paul traveled and Paul preached and Paul wrote letters back to the churches, what do we have? We have an absence of the great commission. Does it strike you as odd? Have you thought about that? And here's why I think. Because if we are who we are supposed to be, and we are living how we're supposed to live, and we are shining for Jesus Christ, and we are a unified army of believers marching forward in the faith, from us will sound out the word of the Lord. And they're going to hear it everywhere. Missions, brethren, missions is the flowing out of a life lived of faith in Jesus Christ. It's not the plea to please give more money. Please, can you sacrifice your McDonald's so that we can have a missionary? So that we can support a missionary for a a paltry, what do we support, 200 bucks a month? Thank God for the 200 bucks. Thank, Thank the Lord for that. That's not what missions is. The giving is the outflow of a heart that's surrendered to God. That's all that it is. Do we need to be challenged about our giving? Well, sure we do. I was made aware of some things today that I didn't know. I'm, I'm not, you know, my finger's not on the pulse. I didn't know things. But when I heard in the way that Pastor put that up as far as just breaking it down, isn't it easy to see the number when you break it down? If 100 people give $23.10 or something like that, then the mission's budget is sorted out. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start giving 25 bucks a week. That's me because I want to do my part. I'm thinking about Ricardo's teeth. You know, I think I want to give toward the teeth. I mean, I could give toward the car, but I'm more thinking about the teeth, you know. I wonder if there's 99 other people in the room tonight that would give $25 a week. Would you? Don't say yes unless you're going to give $25 a week. Why don't you join me? I'm not even a member of the church. But I want to see the work of God go forward. And I'm going to give to the teeth. Don't let me forget about that. What I'm saying is Paul was saying to the church, because this is who you were in your practice, and because your priority, are we okay, was to receive the word of God, and it it made a change. And because your personality of a church is that you, you were just all about the things of God and faith and it was spirit, It was a spiritual church and you loved one another and you esteemed the man of God highly and you supported and you were an Aaron and a her to hold his hands up in the work that God has given him and you were striving together and that's the way the church was running and it was real and the head of the church who walks through the midst of the church bore witness to the truth of it and said, this is who you are. Missions was the outflow. And from the church sounded out the word of the Lord. It wasn't each member doing their own little thing. It was striving together and it was from this unified body of people that the word of God was pressing forward. And that's my challenge to you. What will you be remembered for? Because one day the doors will close. And we'll pass off the scene. Happens all the time. It's always it's always ever happened every church. And we'll only have a memory in the minds of those that are ahead of us. So what will you be remembered for? Let's pray together tonight. Would you bow with me and let's pray for just a moment. This perhaps is the most important part of, uh, of the whole message because this is where people want to get up and walk out and I want to just challenge you not to do that for a minute. And I just want to ask you to please respond in faith and humility before Jesus Christ. If we could still ourselves for just a moment, respond in faith and humility before the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, who is even here in this moment observing, is present in this place. Brethren, we can't see him, but he's here. And I don't know what God has spoken to your heart about, but I know this, that there, were tr- there was truth that was given here tonight, and there, there's no doubt that there's something here that you needed, I, I needed it, Will it effectually work in you? My my challenge and encourage you, encouragement to you is this tonight: that you would just put aside the whatever it is that would hinder you from from simple, childlike obedience to the truth, and that you would just do the thing God told you to do. Don't fight it. Yield yourself. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek the face of God pour out your heart before God, whatever the case may be, because the church is not going to go forward to evangelize the world until we get all this right. Father, thank you for your word tonight. We're going to tarry here for just a moment. And Lord, I pray that you would do your work in our heart, that we would respond. And Lord, I ask that you would do the thing that only you can do. We yield ourselves to you tonight. Uh, so Lord, help us to respond the right way. Holy Spirit of God, I, I pray for the conviction that we all need. Lord, none of us are above correction. Maybe it was just a bit of a course change for some of us, a reminder to some of us, an encouragement maybe to some of us, but help us to respond and to uh, deal with these matters spiritually that you'd be glorified in it as our prayer. I want to ask you to pray. Would you, would you take a knee? You can find a place down here. But just pray as God leads you. Do the thing God wants you to do. Nobody can force you. But may God help us. If We're going to evangelize the world. We've got to make sure we're fixed. If there's a relationship that's broken, fix it tonight.